0: Hi, and welcome to Edge Church podcasts. To get connected, visit our website or send us a WhatsApp. Say hi, and we will connect with you. Our full services can be found on our YouTube channel. Today, we're in our Made Whole series, exploring how it is through God and in God that we are made whole. Enjoy listening to the sermon today. Good morning, everybody. Are we still morning? Still morning? Thank you very much. Uh, it is truly a pleasure to be with you. It is wonderful to have Sue with me. She's not often able to come with me, so Sue's my favorite wife. Uh, very, very, very grateful to have her with us. Did anybody notice the cactus tree pulling a zap sign in the video? Hey? It was like inappropriate, don't you think? I felt, I felt like it was a subliminal message from your pastor, personally. None of us noticed it. I mean, I noticed it immediately. I felt like there's a, there's a need for healing. And deliverance and, and prayer. Via, it's it's such a pity that you're not going to see that again. Because I think today's the last day, right? Because once you see it, you can't unsee it. I think, hey, Bobby, I, I saw you. Once you see it, it's like, oh, no, I can't, I can't unsee it. When when we first went online um, during the COVID, like you know, during the COVID, during COVID, the co- it's like an old man during the COVID. Um, like many churches were forced to, to suddenly go online. I think it was one of the first messages that I had to that I had to record, and I was and I was talking about the and I was trying to show the ring. Um, I, I think I was talking about the prodigal son, and, and I'm point, and I'm constantly anyway. It looked like I was doing this, right? So you can imagine the the gifs and the memes, and and so any anytime people don't like something that we're saying on a on a WhatsApp group, they just send the picture of me pulling a zap back at them. So, <laughs> so I've I've been there, I've been there. Anyway, uh, I am, I am excited, but far more importantly, um, so encouraged and burdened in the healthiest possible way for, for what you guys have been addressing over the last couple of weeks. And if you're visiting today for the first time or for whatever reason you missed out on the past two weeks, I would strongly recommend that you go and either listen to the podcast or watch the videos of Daniel's message last week, uh, Maz Dazel's message the week before, um, both of which I thought were fantastic. In fact, you'd probably wanna watch it and pause and take notes and reflect Etc. Um, so, what you guys are tackling with this whole idea of, of becoming whole, this is God's heart. Like, this is His desire to not just have us surviving, to not just kind of be tolerating one another in our relationships and in our marriages uh, or, or our friendships, or whatever the case is, but, but to actually see us. I mean, it sounds like such a cliche, but there are, I'm convinced to my bones that God wants there to be life. For there to be a flourishing, um, even even in the winter months. So even even in the dry seasons, the tough seasons, for there to still be a level of joy and peace. These are things that God has for us. The key scripture that that you guys have based this series off of is found in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twenty-three and twenty-four, where it says, "Now may the God of peace make you holy." Or in some versions, it uses the word sanctified. It's basically just growing. Becoming increasingly whole, increasingly healthy. That's that's what that's referring to. In every way. May your whole spirit and soul and body. So God cares about every part of us. He is the kindest person we'll ever meet. And he actually cares about every part of our lives. Your whole spirit and soul and body, be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. He is faithful. Now, at the risk of sounding like I'm contradicting scripture, which I'm not, and if I am, then trust the proper interpretation of scripture because I don't want to preach heresy, but, but at face value, that scripture can almost make you think like it's all on God. Like if God feels like it, well, then he'll, he'll make it happen. And so when we're forming doctrine or theology, we need to interpret scripture with scripture and we need to make sure that it backs up uh, one another so, so that we have a whole picture. It's not, it's not that a picture is, or a part of scripture is incorrect. Sometimes it's just incomplete in terms of the fuller story, okay? So so what, what I wanna get at today is has a lot more to do with the how. How do we actually position ourselves for God to do what only God can do. So there, there are things that only God can do, but there are also things that only we can do. And I think that there's a dysfunction in our relationship when we try and do the part that only God can do, and when we ask God to do the part that only we can do. Don't worry, it'll all make sense in a few moments, okay? There, there is this partnership. God wants us to be whole and healed, and he wants to bring that healing, but But a lot of the time, our part in this relationship is actually positioning ourselves to be loved by God, to be encouraged by God, to be healed, to be inspired, to to help our identity and security be what it should be. There is a part that we get to play. But he wants us to be whole. There are a few passages that appears only in the book of Matthew, where there is a particular word, it only appears in the Bible three times and it's in these Three passages. The one is Matthew chapter four verse twenty-three. The other one is Matthew chapter nine verse thirty-four, and then again a few verses later in chapter ten verse one. In fact, scholars argue that because it's literally the same sentence in Matthew four verse twenty-three and Matthew nine verse uh, thirty-four, is that it's kind of like a parenthesis because straight after Matthew four verse it goes into the Sermon on the Mount, chapter five six and seven, then eight and nine, um, kind of almost unpacks. Stories of 10 miracles that take place. So it's kind of like Jesus was doing the teaching in Matthew. Are you guys with me? Okay, I know this is like a school. Just, just hang in there, hang in there, right? So Matthew 5, 6, 7, Sermon on the Mount. Then 8 and 9 is stories of Jesus actually going and doing these things. And then, and then the same sentence appears on both sides of this whole chunk of Scripture, which says that Jesus went about teaching, preaching, and healing every kind of sickness and disease. This is before the Seven on, on the Mount, miracles. And then again, Matthew chapter 9, verse 34, Jesus went about everywhere, preaching, teaching, and healing every kind of sickness and disease. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear, or when I read in the English version, every sickness and disease, I'm like, isn't that the same thing? Anybody else? Yeah. Any English teachers in the room? Yeah, Sean. Sean, okay, so, so this piques my interest. So so I want to look it up because I 'm assuming that Matthew wasn't recording the same word just for the sake of it, saying the same thing in two different ways. The, the, the short version is this: the one, the one word translated from Greek into English is referring to physical Ill, illnesses and elements, etc. The other word translated into English is a word that only appears three times in the book of Matthew, those three verses that are. Mentioned, and it refers to, to the more holistic type of healing that we're needing. We're referring to the psychological, the emotional, the relational. Now, just so you know, my church looked back at me exactly the same way when I told them, because I'm like, I like this was mind blowing for me. They're like, what was next? Okay, <laughs> here's the point. He cares about everything. He cares about. You becoming whole he cares about every part of your life we 're not these spirits that are just drifting around somewhere. we are whole people yeah. that are in relationships that are that, that have physical bodies that have a mindset that 's either leading to life or or leading away from life. He cares about it all and he wants to make us whole man it's, this is the best news in the world which by the way is is what is so wrong with with what is sometimes understood as salvation. Yeah, right. where, where we think that it's, it's just this, it's like, it's like eternal security. Yeah, yeah. It's eternal fire insurance, yeah. which brings up a whole nother load of discussion, okay? <laughs> you know what's scary? Is that in so many cases, we settle for so much less than what God actually has for us. That same word, that is translated as saved or salvation in the New Testament is the exact same root word that is used when being translated as the word healing. Yeah. People were healed or people were set free. So so again, I know you're not blown away yet, but the idea is that to be saved and to keep being saved yeah. is, is not just to be set free spiritually from what was, but is to also be led into what is and what could be where God is actually wanting to make us whole. Where, where you don't have to repeat the patterns from the generations that have gone before you, but where actually we can break some of those patterns and, and set new patterns that will actually leave a far healthier legacy for people. Salvation, healing. Guys, he wants to make us whole. I think this is good news. This isn't a burden. This isn't heavy. This is like, this is God saying, hey, here's the invitation. You see, again, I think too often we settle for morality. And again, that's a whole other discussion because that's even our own sense of morality and all the rest. But there, there is a moral code in the Bible. Morality is commanded. Like you don't really get to choose whether or not you can murder someone, okay? Morality is commanded. But maturity is invited. And too often, I think we, sit, we, we kind of wait to be commanded. Like if we have to, then we will. Where I think actually where all the life really exists, where all the extra is, where all the beauty is, where all the extra wholeness is, is where God's saying, I'm inviting you. I'm not going to make you. I'm not going to whip you. I'm not going to drive you. I'm not going to put, no. I'm inviting you. Yeah. This is good news. And so our part in this equation. Because I really do believe that we are the variable. God's not the variable. God loves us. God wants to heal all. The, I love how Eugene Peterson puts those passages I referred to in Matthew. He, he uses language like he wants to heal all our bruised and broken lives. Everything. He heals our diseases and the bruised and broken parts of our lives. In fact, in the, in the Matthew 4 passage, he makes reference to, and the bad effects of our bad lives. Because how many of you know that Sometimes it's not all the devil. Sometimes we're experiencing some of the consequences of our own, you know, bad choices. Yeah. But but he even wants to bring healing from that. That's why it's all just good news. Okay, I'm way more excited than the rest of you. That's okay. Hang in there. <laughs> Hang in there. Hang in there. Okay. So so we are the variable, not God. Yeah. God loves us. I mean, that passage in Matthew nine talks about how, how Jesus Jesus moved with compassion. He's like the harvest is ripe. The workers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Again, he's like the harvest is available. God is moved with compassion. Who's the variable? It's us, keep peace, it's always us. Like we don't get to, we don't have to beg and plead and convince God to be more kind. He can't be more kind. He can't be more loving. Okay, so we need to position ourselves through fits and starts, getting it right, getting it wrong, as a journey for our entire life. So. Don't be discouraged if you have gotten into a relation with God in your 70s and thinking, I wish I could have earlier. You can't. You might not be able to write a brand new start. You can make a new end. And so wherever you are, we start okay, God, what's the next right thing to do? You want to know what it looks like to obey God? Try and answer the question prayerfully. God, what's the next right thing to do? And do the next right thing that you know to do and trust God that He actually does give grace to the humble and that He'll meet you where you are. So the goal in my language and many others would be the word formation. This is used interchangeably with uh, discipleship, with sanctification, if you know theological terms, or just simply maturing or being made whole. Being made whole. The goal is formation. Now, in case you're not convinced yet, I want to give you I want to just rapid fire run through a couple of symptoms of how we can know whether or not we are functioning right now currently in a whole healthy space or whether we're allowing some of the factors around us and the pace of life to maybe influence us just a little bit so 10 signs that our soul might be struggling do not think of the person next to you do not think of the person at home just just you know it's okay when we get honest with God, he's not the one that's surprised. We are. So just, just relax, relax, relax. There's, there's, there's no shame. Okay, quickly, quickly, quickly. Symptom number one, irritability. We get angry way too easily. Little things irritate us. I find that the more I'm in traffic. Number two, hypersensitivity. You are regularly way too easy to offend. I mean, you can excuse it, you can blame But when all is said and done, you know that in this particular season, like, oh, it's not hard. It's not hard to upset or offend you. Number three is restlessness. Just restless. When you actually have the opportunity to slow down and rest, you struggle to relax. You try and Sabbath, you hate it, you try and pray, but you cannot focus your mind. You read scripture, but find it boring. You watch TV while obsessively checking your phone, right? Sometimes with three screens, like checking that out there, the score there, the the series there. Okay, number four, workaholism or just nonstop activity. So it doesn't have to be paid work, work is work. Your drug of choice is performance and production. You struggle to know when to stop. It's, it's hard to just be. Number five, emotional numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel or process your emotions. One of the ways that I think you, you might pick up on this is is if you recognize yourself going into forms of escape or stimulation. And we all have our drugs of choice when we're struggling. Number six is out-of-order priorities. We feel disconnected from our identity and purpose, always getting sucked into the urgent, not the important. If you're a leader, if you're responsible for people, you know what a challenge that can be. Your life feels very reactive and not proactive. You're busier than ever before, yet still feel like you don't have enough time for what really matters to you. And there's a part of us that just wishes we had a few more hours in the day without realizing that a few more hours in the day, we were just fill with more of the same type of stuff. And so maybe it's not a time issue, maybe it's a soul issue. Number six, this is one that everybody loves, lack of care for your body. Number seven, sorry, same thing. This is another sign of a disordered life in this season. You don't have time for the basics, seven to eight hours of sleep a night, regular exercise, healthy, nutritious meals, minimal stimulants. I can't tell how much coffee I've had today already. You gain weight, get sick multiple times a year, regularly wake up tired, don't sleep well, live off of caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and too much alcohol. These are signs that maybe we're not living in the healthiest space with our souls. Number eight is escapist behaviors. When you're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, we turn to our distraction of choice, whether that's binge watching, binge scrolling, binge eating, binge drinking, or just simply stuck in some other socially accepted addiction. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. Anyone not feeling discouraged yet? You all still with me? Yeah, okay. When tired, over busy and skimming, the things that are truly life-giving for our soul are often the first to go unrushed time with God, unrushed time with God, unrushed time with God, where we're not just ticking the box, where we're not just wanting to keep our streak up on you version. Anyone else feel really bad when you break your streak? It's like, oh, why did I do this? And, and what is meant to be a helpful gamification of a habit actually just becomes another way of just ticking a box. Yeah. And I think the enemy laughs, and I think our souls shrivel. So instead, of, instead of maybe giving up on ticking the boxes and actually just prioritizing being with God, enjoying Him. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of stuff there that we can give up on. And lastly, isolation, where we feel disconnected from God and others on a meaningful level, and even ourselves. i can ask you to put your hands up. You can just look at me really seriously and sadly, if you have more than five or six items on that list that you can like, oh, okay. It just means you're in good company, okay? No shame. No condemnation. This is just for us to be aware. It's like going to the doctor where they just do a physical, or if you're on vitality, you know they kind of do that little vitality health check and tell you that you're 40 years older than what you are. I think I think they're trying to motivate you. I'm like I want to pull that cactus at them, you know. Anyway, okay, okay, okay. So, so, so the goal is formation, which is ultimately another way of putting it is loving God and loving people. Yeah. And even further way of putting that is. Actually allowing God to love us to the extent, so that yes. we're able to actually love God and love people. Right. Because in case you haven't figured this out yet, it's not possible to fully love God or to fully love people unless we are allowing God to love us. Yeah. It is only to the extent that we allow God to love us. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We love as we've been loved. Jesus still said, hey, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So formation, the goal of formation is to love God and love people and to allow him to love us. But the only way for us to do that is to actually position ourselves to be formed by God or deformed by God. the world, If you forget almost everything else, I don't want you to forget too much more, but if you forget almost everything else, I want you to understand that there's an invitation to position ourselves to be formed by the Lord or deformed by the world. It's not a question of if, but, or maybe. We are being formed. The only question is, are we being formed into the image of Christ or are we being formed into the image of the world, which I would argue is being deformed. So any abuse is any misuse, or anything that is different to the original intention. What, what, what that was created to be. So that's why so many of us actually live abused lives because we allow us, I, I'm using the word cautiously, just bear with me in this context. We allow ourselves so often to actually live lives that, that doesn't line up with God's original intention. And so that's why it is, that's why this isn't, this isn't a nice little extra. This is the core, this is the substance of our relationship with God. And out of this, guys, everything we do for God should ultimately come as a response to Him, as a response to His love. Anything else will burn you out, will dry you out, in some cases will do damage to your soul. And I'm saying that as someone that has been in full-time ministry for 26 years, I'm telling you that too often the way that I have done the work of God has done damage to the work of God in me. Because of not having sufficient identity and security in God and wanting to prove and achieve and perform and produce, you can can pursue the same thing but out of a different place as opposed to in response to God. So language that I love, that just for me, my brain, my personality, that helps sum this up, is ordering our lives around being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus would do. And I cannot emphasize strongly enough how important that order is. Religion is getting the order in reverse. So so let me do what I have to do so that I can kind of impress, prove, etc. And who knows, maybe, maybe I can fake fruit, so I can fake looking, loving, peaceful, joyful, kind. And all of you know that you're gonna fake it for so long. Yeah. And it's only the people closest to you that are like, uh-uh, that ain't true. The Sunday Jason ain't the Monday Jason. Yeah. And then, And then maybe that'll earn my way to being with Jesus. So when I say the order is important, I mean it could literally mean the difference between where you spend eternity. That's how significant I think the order is, and that's why it's so easy for churches to slip into unintentional religiosity because we can focus on what we want to get done, and it's not that it's wrong, we just need the order to be right. So, when we talk about being with Jesus, we're referring to devotion, becoming like Jesus, formation, doing what Jesus would do, that's mission but we're trying to work on just just our team, our church on language that helps us to kind of really summarize the goal. Where we talk about being with Jesus, for us, the win is simply experiencing the life-changing love of Jesus. Okay, okay, but Jason, stuff's got to get done. People are going to hell, their needs, I know. But I'm just telling you that as someone that has often been overwhelmed by the needs, if I don't experience the life-changing love of Jesus, I have nothing to offer the needs. Getting that order wrong, it could look amazing for a season. Several of us that are in ministry, that lead are horribly burdened by the number of remarkable leaders global impacting leaders that are not finishing strong. What they're doing, what they've done, amazing. But what does it benefit a person? To gain the whole world, but lose his soul. Jesus says in Matthew, in Matthew chapter seven, that on that day, so judgment day, he says, many. I want you to understand that word many. He says, many. I'm going to say, but I did this, I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that. He's like, yeah, okay, but he doesn't argue. He, he just says, but I didn't know you. Now, just so you know, not your pastor, not this church, but other pastors and other churches, not in our group, not in our country, not in our stream, okay. Some bad people somewhere in America. Okay, let's just let's blame, we'll blame the Americans. I'm joking, I'm joking. I have no doubt that what I'm saying would cause an immediate anxiety for a lot of pastors because, okay, but then how are we gonna get stuff done? And it's real. That's real because we we still wanna achieve God's purposes through the church. And it's not either or or, it's can we just get the order right? Can we love people, serve people and still have a healthy heart? Have a healthy soul. I believe we can. I really do. It might not be at the pace that you and I would like. And as a leader, you want to see results. As a parent, you want to see results. And so it's hard. Yeah. Because you can you can want to make your kids. But no one's just forced, people are formed. So, as pastors, we can try and force you to looking a certain part, and I, I can I stand you before God, absolutely at peace that that is not the culture of this church, that that is not the culture of this leadership. In fact, in fact, it takes faith to get the order right. It takes faith yeah. as a leadership team to say, no, no, we want to make sure that people's souls are healthy and right. We want to be with Jesus. We want to find our identity. in And by the way, I've chosen that word experience very intentionally. That's also towards the end of Ephesians 3, Paul says, may you experience the love of, the love of Jesus. Because it's not a knowledge issue. We need to actually experience. And that is not found in a rush. By the way, you may experience a taste of that in a service like this. That worship. That I like, I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. But maybe you've experienced that in a service or at a camp or at a conference, and then like a week later, a month later, you just feel empty and you're thinking, was that just hype? And I'm saying that there is a way to position ourselves. So so it it may not be the same highs or the same lows, but we're able to abide, to be, where there's a consistent secure. I I may not have the same highs with God that that I had when my life changed, but my love for God and my experience of His love is deeper than ever before. I may not experience all the same emotions with Susan, my favorite wife, that I did when we were dating, but I can tell you before God, my love for Sue is way deeper than than what it's ever been before. We can position ourselves. We can order ourselves. Becoming like Jesus is referring to what I believe is simply the fruit of the Spirit. It's character. It's integrity. But, but it's becoming people of love and joy and peace. Yeah. Imagine, imagine if, if if our litmus test, if our sense of, God, am I in a healthy place? Aren't I? Am I growing with you? Aren't I? Wasn't about how much of the Bible we can explain, which is important. I'm not saying either or. Or, or how much scripture we've memorized. Or, or how much we've served or given. In fact, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 3. You can, you can give everything to the poor. You can give up your life and be burnt at the stake. You can speak in the, in the languages of angels. You can, you can prophesy. You can know the mysteries. But if you don't love, you're a resounding gong. A clanging cymbal. So, What is the goal of formation, maturity? Becoming a person of love and joy and peace. Loving God, loving people. Allowing him to form in us, patience, kindness, self-control, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. So that when we are being triggered and pricked and, and there's conflict, there's actually a longer pause than what there used to be. Right. I'm not, it's not gonna be perfect, but there's, but there's just a little bit more self-control. There's just a little bit more patience. There's a little bit more gentleness. where in the past. Yeah, I was like, it would have been aggression. Like, take my earrings off. You know, you're gonna, you're gonna take them out, right? Now it's like, okay, okay, okay. Let me, just, let me just take a breath. That's what maturity looks like. Not perfect, not not your bulletproof Teflon, you don't feel anything, no, no, no. You only need patience when your patience is being tested. Yeah. You only need self-control when you're being tempted to do something that's not gonna be life-giving. You only need to be kind when you're being tempted to not be kind. Becoming like Jesus, we're gonna become people. And guys, I'm just telling you, of love, joy, and peace, I think that in... The age, the cultural moment that we're living in, people are looking for people of love and joy and peace. More anxiety than ever before, more hatred than ever before, including from Christians online. Like I just wish people wouldn't even call themselves Christians if they're gonna be posting some of this stuff. Joy, people are needing a deep level of joy. We wanna be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what Jesus would do if he were me, do what Jesus would do is mission, but but what I want us to understand is especially this part of what Jesus would do if He were me, a 35 year old healthy father of, of no, okay. If wow, can you just call that cactus back up again for Daniel? If you're, a, if you're a single student working a couple of jobs trying to make ends meet feeling completely misunderstood and alone in the world. Yeah. If you're a single parent of several kids and just, you're just trying to get through another day without killing anybody. <laughs> you're a leader, an entrepreneur, a, 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 a CEO who has responsibility for other people's lives and, and your life is not just, you don't just live in a vacuum. Every decision you make has implications for those around you. Yeah. If he were you, yeah. your stage of life, your opportunities, limits, responsibilities, gifts, strengths, weaknesses. What would he do if he were you? Guys, I'm just telling you, If this, this language for me has helped me simplify what naturally I can overcomplicate. Formation is growing into a person that loves God and loves people I believe that we do this by ordering our lives, positioning ourselves to be with Jesus. That's relational. It's devotional. Become like Jesus. That's formational. We're allowing him to form fruit in us. And then, and then make no mistake, being obedient in doing what he would do. That's why I'm even nervous using the word mission because, because, again, that can so often be about ministry. But I would argue that the vast majority of what God wants you to do is where you are the most. So it's not making a difference on a Sunday, but then you're destroying your family the rest of the week. It's not helping out occasionally on a project, but, but then cutting corners and maligning the name of Jesus in your business practices. It's, it's holistic. It's becoming whole. The goal is formation. It's becoming whole. And the way that we do this, I believe, and I know that this isn't this is language that's very familiar to a lot of Christians in the 21st century, but, but there's a terminology that I'll unpack for you in a moment that you'll understand. We all do this anyway. We all have this anyway. But it's something that I think if we can work on intentionally, I am convinced that it'll change our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Not if, but, or maybe. Like, I'm convinced. Yeah. My biggest burden over the last 26 years is how do we help people grow? How do we, how do we help people become whole, become healthy? I believe this is it. And I'm happy to spend the rest of my life trying to help people implement and understand and get back up again when they struggle or fail or get distracted or get discouraged, which is inevitable. And it's simply called a rule of life. This is ancient language. The word rule comes from the Latin word that we get the word regular or regulate or ruler from. So think a straight ruler where you measure or, or, or kind of draw a line from where you are to where you want to be. Or to self-regulate. It's, it's how we organize and arrange our lives so that we, so that we, we, we function in a certain way. Or the, the most commonly used metaphor for this word rule of life is simply a trellis where you're thinking of a grapevine and the farmer puts a trellis into place to help lift. So there is life. There is life in this vine, but but to actually lift the, the, the vine off the ground where it is subject to disease and bugs and help direct where it's going to move and grow and live. And then you're patient with it. I might've mentioned this in one of the times that I was here previously where a viticulture, so a winemaker, if you've, Planted a new vineyard, a new, a new vine, doesn't use the first year's harvest or the second year's harvest. I mean, you read John 15, God being the gardener, pruning parts so that it will produce even more fruit. Think about a, think about a, a, a wine farmer who has spent a lot of money. And on year two, you get this harvest in and you're like, turf it. And the first time that, that a winemaker will use the grapes is possibly with the third year's harvest, but very often the fourth year's harvest. That takes patience. That takes faith. That is a journey. That is a process. And that takes such intention. They literally talk about training the vines. So, so when we talk about a rule of life, we're talking about training our lives in the direction that he wants it to go. And by the way, this should be encouraging A wine, make, just so you know, I don't enjoy wine. So I'm using this as an analogy for anyone that's sensitive to this, but but there are many that do and that's great. They tell me, I mean, I, I don't get it. But anyway, the wine that is made from a four-year-old vine, which is used and sold, is completely different to the quality of the wine that is being produced from the same vine at 20 years. There is a richer they will literally use words like character. There's, there's a greater dynamic to the taste. I'm like, it all just tastes like wine, sorry. But, but anyway. So, so if you allow that vine to keep being trained, pruned, directed, and trust the farmer, trust the gardener. That's what Jesus said in John 15. Will you just trust my Father to prune, cut, direct, so that we will produce more fruit. This is what a rule of life is. One, one other analogy that helps me with this, and by the way, you can use the word way, a way of life. That, that's a lot easier in the 21st century. It's just that all the literature will make reference to the word rule, so I'm just sticking with it. But another, another example of, of a way of life or a rule of life is that of an anchor. So where, so where you are anchored into the ground and the anchor will be de- de- dependent on the size of the vessel. You want a small life? Have a small anchor. You want a big life? You want to be able to house lots of people, serve lots of people? You can't have some dinky anchor. You need a pretty hardcore anchor. Now, here's the point with the anchor. Is the anchor's not there to create tension and, and burden and this restrictive thing nonstop. The only time that we should experience tension is when the current or the storms are trying to pull us off course. And so what a rule of life does, what an anchor does is it keeps us, yes, there's going to be tension. For me, Sabbath is a part of my rule of life. That's all another message. I will feel, it's not a law. I don't feel like it's a salvation issue or moral issue. I feel like it's a life-giving issue. I will feel the effect. I will feel the tension if I don't Sabbath weekly. I will feel the tension if I'm not getting enough sleep. I can, I can fake it for a while. I can have enough coffee to override it for a while. But then those closest to me, those who matter the most, yeah, will start to feel it. And I'm, and I'm going to start noticing this tension. That's what a good rule of life is. A good rule of life isn't going to suck the life out of you. It's going to help protect the life that you're trying to nurture. Yeah, here Here's a statement. By the way, all, guys, don't worry about notes, right? Your, your leaders will send it to you. I want you to catch this more than anything else. I love this definition. A rule of life is the way we order our lives to be formed or deformed through priorities, practices, and people. We all have priorities. We're all interacting with people. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And we all do have practices. The time you go to bed most nights, that's a practice. It might not be an intentional habit, but it's a practice. How much time you do or don't spend with God on a regular basis It's part of your rule. We all have a rule of life. We all have a way of life. It's just a question of, is it forming or deforming us? Is it producing the kind of fruit that we would like to produce? Now, I wish that we had time to unpack this in a great deal more detail. I'm gonna end off with a few tips. There is a PDF that your leaders will make available to you that does go into some more detail, but I do want to warn you, personalities make a, make a difference here. Yeah. Some of us, we enjoy this linear sort of tabled approach where, where we see, okay, this is under being, this is under becoming, this is under doing. Or this is under, like, like Peter's case we'll, we'll recommend having categories of prayer, rest, relationships, work. Like that helps me. Um, and then maybe as you're going across, you're looking at daily, weekly, quarterly, monthly, annually. So like annually, your leave should be a part of your rule of life where you're trusting God that he can achieve in 11 months what you feel will take 12. For me, Sabbath is saying, God, I believe you that you can achieve in six days what I think will take seven. Yeah. Getting sleep is saying, God, I believe that you can do in 10 or 12 hours what I feel like should take 16, 18, 20 yeah. hours. That's, that's part of our, so you can be looking daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, etc. But the goal is not ticking the boxes with your rule of life. The goal is becoming a person of love. Yeah. Becoming a person of joy, becoming a person of peace. I want to emphasize that I think, way too often, when it comes to maturity so, formation, discipleship, whatever language you prefer I think, way too often, you and I, maybe not you, me and other people that aren't in this church really want God to give us gifts of the spirit, where he's saying, no, that's fruit of the spirit. So I want the gift of patience. I want the gift of kindness. I want the gift of love. I want the gift of gentleness. I want the gift. And God's like, no, no, actually those are fruit. Those are, that is fruit that is formed when you're planted and connected and living in the way that leads to life. Now, I'm not saying God cannot give you a supernatural ability to love in what otherwise would be an unnatural, impossible way to love in that moment, yes. Supernatural gift of patience or peace? Absolutely. Those are those are gifts in, in moments. But to be a person of love and joy and peace. God doesn't override our systems and our thinking and our behaviors. And, and and I can just keep abusing my body, abusing my mind, feeding my mind on junk and stuff that's toxic, but then but then it's cool. I wake up, I'm I'm just amazing. I'm just a person of peace and joy and love. that's, that's not how it works. And so I believe that us positioning ourselves, ordering our lives, allows us to actually have this fruit formed in our lives. Because the things we do, do something to us. First we form our habits, then our habits form us. And by the way, if you're parents, your habits will form your home. If you're a leader in a business, or the church, or a small group, your habits will form your... I wish people just did what I said. <laughs> they don't. I reproduce who I am which is sometimes not great news. All right, okay. In conclusion, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some tips. Don't write these down. You'll get these. I want you just to catch, I want you to catch the life-givingness of this and not feel like it's this burden, it's this restrictive, it's just another list of things to feel bad about. It's not that. couple of tips if you are crafting a rule of life, which I argue will change your life. Number one, start where you are, not where you wanna be. Naturally, we wanna become monks and nuns in a day. This doesn't, you want to become a saint in a week. No, no, start where you are. Just start where you are. Start small. Start small. Apparently we've got an extra two minutes. So I want to show you a quick video. Take a look at the screens. Start small. Start small. You don't have to impress anyone. You don't have to prove anything. Just just start small. More than enough of us have had experience where we try and tackle everything in one go or too many big things. And 15 years later, we're still where we were 15 years ago. Let's just like, can we trust that God is kind enough, patient enough, trustworthy enough that if we just do the little bit that we can, that God might just actually meet us where we are and do the rest. Secondly, consider your personality, your season of life, your stage of life. These things matter. Your level of responsibilities matter. The worst thing that we can do is compare to someone else and think, well, they're they're a spiritual giant, so let me do that. These people seem to really love God and they're able to foster kids or they're able to adopt or they're able to to give 20% of their income. No, no. Allow people to run their, their journey, their race, You and I need to listen to what God is inviting us to. And again, the way we know that is that there's life. That doesn't mean that there won't be sacrifice and and some some stretching, but but it's not gonna lead to death. Guys, consider, and your personality makes an enormous difference, man. An extrovert manifest, you know, taking steps. So so, so an extrovert in their rule of life, they're gonna want lots of time with people. An introvert is allowed some guilt-free time to replenish and recuperate. Consider these things. Number three, be specific. Not just I want to spend more time with God. Okay, I'm going to spend 15 minutes of time, with, 15 minutes a day with God. First thing in the morning, maybe just before I go to bed at night, or I'm going to switch my phone off because digital limits is one of the. You talk about a single habit that'll change your life. One of the biggest is simply digital limits. Yep. So, so, so you might be specific and say I'm going to switch my phone off at nine o'clock every morning, every night, and only switch it on again at seven o'clock in the morning. For example, you, you you put on flight mode or switch it off, or if you could even bear with it, you leave it in a different room. To charge. you might. Th- there used to be something called an alarm clock. <laughs> I know it's old school. Still uses electricity. It's like digital. Anyway, it'll. But but be specific. Try not. I'm going to exercise three times a week for this long on these. Try and be as specific as possible. Number four, prioritize. You cannot give everything the same attention. For some of us, the most important thing would just be to start with getting enough sleep. Or for someone else, the most important thing to prioritize is getting into community because your life is lived far too isolated. Remember, God is inviting us. Do the next right thing you know to do. God, what are you inviting me to do? Number five, keep a healthy balance. Similar to prioritizing in the sense that, that, that you, you might want to continue habits that are already in place. So that's, so that's kind of like what they would call downstream habits. But then maybe tackle one upstream habit where, you, where something that's going to stretch your willpower and it's going to take up some emotional energy. Keep a balance so that you're not just tackling a bunch of really difficult, frustrating, discouraging things. Number six, everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. In the Hebrew language, there is no word for spiritual. Because everything's spiritual, working is spiritual, getting enough rest is spiritual, relationships is spiritual, whether we like it or not, eating it's everything, right? Everything, everything. Oh, and spending time reading my Bible, reflecting on scripture, and and I mean, prayer prayer is actually something that should be like oxygen, where it's all the time. It's it's, it's so there are fixed time, you know, there are the moments of solitude, but there, everything. Everything, everything is spiritual. Number seven, it's a working document. Don't allow it to be a prison. Review, adjust, make, it's a working document. Is it leading to life? Number eight, it's a rule, not a law. I mentioned earlier, if if I don't spend time with Sue, for example, it's not like this massive moral issue, but it's going to have an effect on our relationship. There, there are there are things. If you don't go to you don't exercise for a couple of weeks, it's not some major moral issue, but you're going to start feeling the tension of the effects on your energy, etc. Number nine, share it with someone. I cannot encourage you enough to to experiment and to have someone walk the journey with you, where you share some of the some of the wins and some of the challenges and pitfalls, and where you're needing to make adjustment. When we do it with others. I'm just telling you, the chances of us actually making progress go up multiple times. And lastly, pursue progress, not perfection. Yes, man, some of us need a revelation of this. We're not having to get everything perfect, but we can make progress. If you've ever walked up lion's head you would have noticed, hopefully, if you're paying attention, if you could still breathe, you know, at certain points, that, that there's a moment at first where, when you get to a certain point where you, where you look. I mean, it's just, in my opinion, it has to be one of the most spectacular views in the world, I think. I mean, I haven't been to enough places, but I'm guessing it's pretty spectacular. Where you can see, you know, Clifton, Camps Bay, the whole, you know, 12 apostles. It's just beautiful. Spectacular. And then you carry on huffing and puffing, depending on how fit you are, as you, as you carry on walking up this circular path, the circuitous path. And what happens is that you come back to the exact same view. And it's like, whoa, it's deja vu. Like, like, wait, I've put in a whole bunch more effort and I'm still looking at the same view. That is our walk with God. You still seeing things that are familiar, but actually you've made progress. And you may still be tackling the same issue, the same attitude, the same mindset, the same addiction, but actually you're tackling it from a different point of view. You have made progress. It may not be perfect yet. You may not have reached the summit yet, but you have made progress. And I honestly think that we need to learn to celebrate progress. As long as we're alive, we can make progress. We're never gonna get it all perfect. I wish we could. If you're perfect, you're dead, okay? It means that you're in eternity with Jesus. But we can make progress. We don't have to be paralyzed by, by, by imperfections. No, no, we can make progress. So I wanna invite you to close your eyes for a few moments. And if you're willing to do this, just to kind of open your hands on your lap, you don't have to, but this is just purely symbolic as a symbol of surrender, of humility, of just an open-handedness and hopefully an open heartedness to God. My encouragement is to simply ask God to clarify one way, one step, one way for you to apply what is being shared. I know it's a lot, it's a fire hydrant of information, but God is there. One thing that you want to stand out for me. And the beautiful news is that it doesn't have to be the same as somebody else. And that if it's God that's inviting you, He will help you. He will give you strength. God does play an enormous role. But we have our role to play where we take the step that He's inviting us to take. And while you're doing that, I just simply I want to encourage and invite anyone that is here that's listening to this, watching this at a later stage. If you are not confident that you're in a relationship with God, you haven't taken that first step. Everything I've spoken about today, this is like the rest of the journey, but it all begins with that first step of actually beginning a relationship with Jesus where you, two things in my opinion. First of all, you accept his forgiveness and secondly, you choose to follow. Forgiveness is saying, God, I I can't sort out my, my own sin, my own challenges, my own past, I need, I, I need to be washed clean. And something spiritual takes place where, where you, the Bible tells us that you actually become a new person spiritually. It's a mystery. I can't explain it to you scientifically. I do believe, however, that a lot of people actually do experience a lightening of this load of shame, guilt, condemnation. But then there's also a choosing to follow. And that's what we spend the rest of our lives doing, where we try and simply take the next step. And yes, you are gonna fail. There are gonna be times where you're discouraged. There are gonna be seasons where you feel like it's just this wide open wilderness and, and you, can't, you, you don't experience God, you don't feel God. Some people call it the dark night of the soul. But in my opinion, that is often where your roots go down deeper because you're hungry, you've had a taste and you, and you want to allow your roots to go down deep into the love of God. So I'm not promising you some quick fix, sign up now, you'll get everything you want type of scenario. No, no I'm saying if you sense that what we're talking about is real and you want that relationship with Jesus, if you're willing to accept his forgiveness and commit to trying to follow him, This is a conscious decision that we make. All that you need to do is say, yes, please. Yes, please, God. Maybe you can add in a thank you because it is the kindest gift that you'll ever receive. And then you start on day one and you allow him to lead you one step at a time. Father, I commit every single one of us that are here, anyone that's listening to this or watching this, God, help us. To see you more than anything else, God, help us to see you. Help us to look at you, looking at us with love, and to sense your invitation to what's next. God, help us to recognize where maybe we have settled for a version of life that, that for whatever reason, we just believe that's that's the best that we can settle for. But we're, God, if you're inviting us to increased freedom, increased health, increased wholeness, increased purpose making a difference where we are, help us to say yes. Help us to take that step and help us to persevere as we keep positioning ourselves to be formed by you. Help us, God, to order our lives around being with Jesus, enjoying Him, becoming like Jesus and doing what He would do if He were me. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. We trust that you enjoyed listening to the sermon today. We would love to stay in touch with you about your next steps. Please send us a WhatsApp or contact us via our website. We'd love to help you on your discipleship journey.